I'll be reading from Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the knife and the fire. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Right. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it uh, so you can follow along with me. And as you do that, I will pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word this morning that you give to us. Uh, Your word is good, even if it leaves our heads scratching a little bit uh, when we come to a story like this. And so, Lord, I ask that you would please uh, help us today as we we wrestle through uh, your call to Abraham in this particular episode and what it is that you um, are trying to teach us about yourself through it all. Uh, Give us the ears uh, to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So this is uh, another one of those just kind of hard passages, right? Uh, I mean, did God just really ask this dude that he's been so faithful to for so many years to sacrifice, uh, to kill uh, his son? And so if you're anything like me, you read this story and you're just like, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And the reality is that there are lots of things that the, the text is not trying to answer for us. There's just a lot of questions that uh, we just have to sit in the tension of not knowing. What we do know straight away is that this is a test. So as the reader, uh, we're in a position that Abraham is not. We're in a position as the reader to know that Isaac is going to be okay on the other end of this. Uh, Abraham is not uh, in this position. Uh, and so that, in some ways, you know, takes a little bit of pressure off us, but it maybe in some ways puts more pressure on our understanding of the test, uh, the, of the text, the passage. Um, as you can imagine, there is a lot that has been written about this passage of Scripture. Uh, there are numerous books, uh, like whole books, that are trying to figure out what's going on here. Uh, lots of commentaries innumerable number of theological articles. And so I'm going to give you a brief summary of everything that's been written over the next 20 minutes. That's not even remotely what's going to happen this morning because you just can't. Oh, interestingly, there's, there's actually disagreement about whether or not Abraham passes the test. Uh, there are those that argue that Abraham wasn't supposed to go to Moriah that Abraham was supposed to know God well enough at this point to say, there's no way on earth that God would ask me to do this. The God that I know is not a God who sacrifices children. And so therefore, I'm not going to do this. Um, And so someone would argue that Abraham actually fails the test by going to Moriah and building the altar and laying his son on it and lifting the knife. Um, I... I'm not convinced. There are some good arguments and some good things to be said, but I'm not convinced by that particular uh, argument that's being made. Uh, but but it, it you know forces us to realize the, the tension. Like we we don't completely understand everything that's going on here. Jewish interpreters. Uh, so the very next story, um, we have a little genealogy, and then in chapter 23 we have the account of Sarah's death. Uh, and so some Jewish authors and, and uh, theologians uh, have argued that Sarah dies because she heard what Abraham was up to. And so out of shock, uh, she, you know, her heart gives out and she dies. Now, we don't know if that's true or not, but you can imagine, uh, right, what it would have felt like for her to hear Abraham, wait, you're doing what? God told you to do what? Um, and, and so we can, we can understand why it could be true. Uh, so here at the end of the day, I'm just going to tell you, like, I, there, are, there are lots of questions that you're going to have coming out of this that I am not in a position to be able to answer. 
Um, and obviously, I mean, there's too much written for a short sermon. And, and there are literally just some things that we do not know. There are questions that the Lord is not bothering to answer. And so we, we have to say with Paul, uh, we says in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. There's just a sense in which uh, God is, is um, too magnificent uh, for us. And there are things here that we just have to throw our hands up in the air and say, we just, we have to trust in the Lord uh, that we're not going to be able to get full answers to everything that, uh, every question that we might have. As we move in, it's helpful for us to realize that part of what's happening here is that this story is setting us up for something that's going to happen much later in the Bible. Uh, And so as we go through that, and I'll explain to you what that means in a little bit, but as we do that, I want you to think of Abraham as giving us a picture of who God the Father is. I want you to think of Isaac as giving us a picture of who God the Son is, but also who you and I are. Uh, And then the ram is going to also give us a picture of who God the Father is. Now, we jump in, verses 1 and 2. And and just, by the way, there's no three-point sermon. I'm just telling you the story and weaving some things through. So if you're looking for points, there's no points this morning. Um, Throwing you off, keeping you on your toes. Uh, So we start off with verses 1 and 2. And uh, something really interesting is happening because it says, Abraham, God calls Abraham and says, here I am. And he says, go to the place I'm going to tell you. Now, if you've been with us, since the beginning of the series, that might ring a bell uh, because that's exactly what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, the, 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 uh, every commentator is like, look, there's a direct parallel here. And, and so there's something for us to notice. Now, kids, I want you to think about, you know, uh, your, your mom and dad, or, or maybe you, you have a phone, right? Uh, and there's all kinds of pictures on that phone. Um, but a picture that's really special is a picture that gets printed, right? Uh, and then if it's a really special picture, we put it in a frame. And in the frame, if it's, a, if it's a really, really special picture and one that you really want people to notice, the frame is a really nice frame. And the frame is actually becomes a part of the picture. Well, in the stories of the Bible, we are given a frame sometimes. We're given this structure, the way that the stories are told are told in such a way that what happens on either end is supposed to help us to understand what's going on in the middle, okay? And so that's happening here. We have a story in Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham, Abraham responds, and then God blesses him, right? Go to the land I'll show you, Abraham. Goes to this family, to the land that God shows him, and then God says, I'm going to bless you. And then here in Genesis 22, God says, all right, Abraham, go to the place I'm going to show you. You're going to sacrifice your son there. And Abraham goes, he obeys. And then the very last part that Miss Dana read for us was a restatement of the promise. And so these two stories are helping us to see the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, if you've been with us, you know, Abraham has highs and lows. Sarah has highs and lows. There are moments where they're like rocking it and they're doing great and they're loving the Lord and they're being faithful. And there are times when their lives are a disaster uh, and the consequences of their actions are just really sad. 
But the frame is helping us to see that in spite of the highs and lows, in spite of the obedience and disobedience, in spite of the faith and lack of faith, that Abraham obeys the Lord. And that's encouraging because in spite of our highs and lows, in spite of our obedience and disobedience, the Lord looks on us because of Jesus and what he sees is the righteousness of God, right? So that's the beginning of the story. That's how we we jump into this picture. And what ends up happening is um, you'll notice, right, the number of times that the phrase son shows up. It's repeated um, eight or nine times. The Lord says three times to Abraham, your son, your only son. The narrator of the story says the phrase, his son, five times. Abraham, this is in the NIV translation of the Bible. Abraham, two times, says, my son. And then the phrase, burnt offering, appears six times. Now, what does that tell you? Right, those words are important because they're repeated so often. And they raise the tension for us of the story because we're being told this really important precious child is going to be offered up as a burnt offering. Now, burnt offering uh, was a whole animal offering. There are five offerings that the the, uh, Israelites had in the Old Testament, kind of their liturgical practices or five offerings. And the burnt offering, the entire animal was burnt. And it was said that when the burnt offering happened, the, the, the smoke that went up was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And one of the purposes of that offering was to strengthen the relationship between the person offering it and the Lord. Okay, so so as the original readers, these are the things that they're picking up on. These are the things that they're hearing. So Abraham gets up early the next day. Perhaps he didn't sleep at all. Uh, He gets up early the next day. He gets everything ready. He cuts the wood. He gets the donkey ready. He picks out the servants that are going to go with him. Uh, We don't know what he tells Sarah. We don't know what he tells Isaac. Uh, But they get on the journey, and it takes them the better part of three days to get there. Uh, And you can just imagine what's going on in Abraham's heart as he is struggling through this. And then we get to the point where the first words that we hear from Isaac, our father, where's the offering? He knows what's going on, right? He knows what they're doing. He had seen his father make offerings before. Perhaps he had helped his father build an altar before. He knows what's going on and there's something missing, right? There's no, there's no lamb, there's no ram. And so he asks his dad a very logical question. Hey, where's the actual animal? And Abraham says, the Lord will see to it. And that right there is the clue for us. That right there is is what helps us to begin to see what we probably was happening in Abraham's heart. God is calling him to do this really just like unthinkable thing. And you and I know it's a test, but he doesn't know it's a test. And so in the logic of Abraham, he's trying to figure out, wait a minute, these are the things that I've known about God. These are the things that God has taught me over the last 25, 30 years since God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Remember we said last week, God has been discipling him during this time. And so he's trying to weigh out what are the things that I know about God. And listen to what he says in verse five, as they're getting ready to go up to 
the offering site. Uh, He says to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will come, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. And then what does he say to Isaac when Isaac asked that question? It says this, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Uh, one, one version, I forget which one translates it, God will see to the offering. So Abraham, this, this is the logic of what he's trying to do. He's, he's wrestling with all of these other deities that my neighbors worship have their children sacrificed. The one that I've been worshiping, the true one, is all of a sudden asking me to do something that does not square up with who I thought he was. All of a sudden, he's looking a lot like these other deities. And yet I know all these things are true. And so what we see here is the wrestling, I think the wrestling of Abraham as he is trying to make sense of this. And the reason that we can have pretty good confidence that this is actually what's going on is because Hebrews 11 tells us that when Abraham went to Moriah, that in his heart, he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. He didn't know what was gonna happen, but he had confidence in a God who has power over death itself. So we come to it. Verse nine, they reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I have so many questions. Um, what was Isaac thinking? What was Abraham thinking? What are you doing? Why didn't Isaac stop? So Isaac, so we're, we're not talking about a campfire with marshmallows, right? We're talking about burning an entire human. So that's a lot of wood. Isaac takes the wood to the, to the altar site. So he can't be a small boy. Jewish scholars actually, some Jewish scholars actually say he was a grown man. Um, why doesn't he resist? What's going on through his head? And guess what? God doesn't want us to know the answer to any of those questions. Isn't that frustrating? Like this is one of those, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. When I get to heaven, if I think of it, I'm going to ask, what was going on there? But the point is, as much as you and I want to know the answers to those questions, those are not the questions that we are called to see. Now, that has to be said, right? This passage is this very unique moment in history. We have no other record of God doing this, right? So we can't from this passage jump and say, well, God doesn't love children because we actually have lots of evidence in the rest of the Bible that that's not true. We, we can't from this passage jump and say, well, God approves of the abuse of children because we have lots of other passages that say that is simply not the case. And yet we still, we sit with the tension of like, what on earth is going on? Well, uh, the story continues in verse 11. Uh, the altar is built. Abraham's ready. 
Um, if, you, if you look at, at artistic renderings of this scene, if you look at Rembrandt, if you look at other famous paintings, uh, almost all of them uh, have, you know, Abraham's high and really high with the knife in the air. Some have the knife up on the neck. It's just, it's absolutely gruesome, right, to think. Uh, and then the voice of the Lord comes. And so all these renderings will have this angel coming down, forcing itself into the picture. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything, anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Ah, that's it, right? We're supposed to fear God. This God that Abraham worships is this mean kind of ogre. He is just vindictive. And if you cross him, oh my, you better watch out. He tells us we're supposed to fear him. Well, that's not it either, right? Because fear in the Bible, fear in scripture means to be overwhelmed and to be controlled by something. So fear of man means that you're overwhelmed and controlled by what other people think of you. Fear of the Lord when you begin to like tease out, what does the fear of the Lord look like in the Bible? It is almost always a reverential awe. It is just being stunned at the majesty of who God is. And Abraham has 25 plus years of being discipled to fear the Lord, of having this, this sense of awe of who God is. This is part of what God has been discipling him towards. Uh, and so now, God didn't need the test to know it in the same way that he didn't need to go to Sodom to know how bad Sodom was. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But the process was part of the way that he is discipling Abraham. And there was something about it that was important for the Lord as well. What that is, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. So then what happens uh, is that all of a sudden, Abraham notices a ram, uh, male sheep, horns, caught in a thicket, some kind of a bramble of bushes or something. We don't know. Uh, and he goes over and it's, and it's just very matter of fact, very matter of fact. Verse 13, he went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. Done. All right, the ram serves as a substitute. Now, I said at the beginning that part of the reason that this story is so important is because it's foreshadowing something for us. Now, what on earth does the word foreshadow mean? Um, so kids, you remember the movie, uh, The Incredibles, right? The Incredibles. So I'm adults. How many adults have watched The Incredibles? If not, you should. It's classic. So there's this scene at the, towards the beginning of The Incredibles where Edna, remember Edna is the one that makes all the, the superhero outfits. Edna and Mr. Incredible are having a conversation about what his costume is going to be like. And do you remember what he wants? He wants a cape. And Edna says, no capes, right? And then she goes on to tell Mr. Incredible, remind him of all these other superheroes who've had capes, and then they all end up dying. Uh, and it's foreshadowing because what happens at the end of the movie? Who's the bad guy? Syndrome. And what happens to Syndrome? His cape gets sucked into a jet engine and he, and he dies, right? So Edna saying no capes because these things have happened is foreshadowing what's going to happen at the end of the movie. All right. 
What on earth does Mr. Incredible have to do with Abraham? This story is foreshadowing. It's, it's, we're being told early on in the story of the Bible, something that's going to happen much later in the story of the Bible. Um, so Moriah uh, is where the temple of Jerusalem is built, which means it's where Jerusalem is. Uh, and so you see, what happens here is that there was many, many years later, another father, God the Father, who had another son, his beloved son, Jesus, who went up the mountain. And just like Isaac, he carried wood up that mountain, except it was a cross. And that son called out to his father. He called out to his father in the garden. He called out to his father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father gave no reply. And then when you were expecting that hand to come in and people mocked him and said, say something, say something in the, uh, and, and have the angels come rescue. There was no substitute because he was the substitute. And he ends up giving his life. So you see, Abraham represents to us God the Father, except unlike Abraham, who didn't have to go through with it, God the Father had to go through with it. Isaac, interestingly, represents us both, both us and Jesus, right? Because on one part of the first part of the story, he's the beloved son. He's the one that goes up the mountain. He's the one that carries the wood. He's the one who, on who everything hinges, And yet, at the very moment when we expect his life to be taken, he gets pushed aside, and that's you and me. We are are the ones who are being uh, substituted for. And then in comes the ram, and then Jesus takes on the role of the ram, right? Um, Remember what John says when he first meets Jesus? Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so this, this story is foreshadowing for us. It's setting us up to understand the gospel. It's setting us up to understand who God is and what it is that God is doing. And, and specifically, specifically as we end, I want to draw your attention to one thing. What was it that Abraham said to Isaac as they were going up the mountain? God will provide. What name does Abraham give to that location? It's not, God almost killed my son. It's not, God is really unknowable and kind of scary. It's, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And it is said to this day, what? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So you see, for you and I, one of the, one of the things that I think this story is trying to communicate for you and me is it's trying to teach us that the Lord will provide. Some of us today feel like Abraham during those three days. 
Uh, some of us say one of the one of the privileges of being your pastor is that you will, uh, some of you will come uh, and share with me uh, some of the stuff you're going through, the great stuff and the hard stuff. Uh, so I know, right? I know just like, you know, you write a sermon and you're thinking about the people you're going to preach it to. So I write a sermon and your faces come in uh, to my head at times as I'm writing and I'm thinking about what it is that I want to say. And so I know that some of you right now uh, might really resonate with the, the, the angst that Abraham is experiencing, stuff that's going on with your family, stuff that's going on with friends, stuff that's going on with work. And, and so you might very well feel like Abraham felt. I know these things are true, and yet why am I, why is this happening? And, and don't, I, I'm not going to say God is testing you. I'm not saying that. But what I do want us to focus in on is that God is revealing himself here to us as the one who provides. And the reason that that kind of jumped out of me this week is there's, there are a couple of places in the New Testament where this story is referenced. Hebrews 11, I already talked about that one a little bit ago, but the, one of the other places is Romans 8. And in Romans 8, this is what Paul writes. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So Paul, as he is reflecting on the Abraham and Isaac story, what he says is that story is a testimony to you and me that God has already proven what he will give you. He's already proven that he would not withhold his only son for you. Jesus has all, we don't know what Isaac was thinking when he got up on the altar, but we know what Jesus was thinking when he got up on the cross. He willingly offered himself up. And so your father and your savior have already demonstrated to you what it is that they are willing to do for you. If they're willing to do that, the argument goes, how much more are they willing to do for you? So this is the power of the gospel. And so this story, right, there's, we still have all these questions, right? It's still a really difficult story. You might still walk out of here and go, yeah, but. And, and I would be walking out of here with you going, yeah, but. All of that being true, the story points us to the fact that the Lord provides and so whatever is going on, wherever you are right now, God has demonstrated his provision for you and that Jesus came and died on the cross, that he became your substitute. And so we hold on to that. We look to that. We, we, uh, we put our faith in that. And as we continue to go through things that are difficult, because the gospel does not promise you that everything's gonna be beautiful and wonderful and there's not gonna be any problems. It's not the gospel. Life is hard, but Jesus provides. Uh, on the mountain of the Lord, it was said, God has provided. Let's pray.
Father, hallelujah. Father, we, uh, we thank you. This is a hard story, and, and there are so many questions that we have unanswered, and so many things that still um, are difficult to understand about why uh, you would do something like this. Uh, and, uh, and Lord, I confess that there are moments where, where I, I think, oh, what, what, what would you ask of me? Lord, we, uh, we bring those questions to you and we say with Paul, how unsearchable are your ways? And as we bring these questions to you, we cry out, you are the great provider. Uh, you, uh, you provided for us Jesus. Uh, Lord Jesus, you came and you offered yourself up so that we might be able to be united to you. So Father, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.